Blog Talk Radio. MyW Sports, Sports Monday, another week in sports has gone by, and here we are, Luis Sanchez, Kyle Westcott, uh, joining me this afternoon or this evening for MyW Sports, Sports Monday. Kyle, pleasure to have you. It's been a long week, a lot to get to. Uh, what are you thinking uh, of this past week in sports? Just an amazing weekend, specifically the weekend. Um, you know, we get to see so many great games and so many great performances, and and uh, I just wish that more fans were able to uh, see these games and see these athletes perform because they're doing some amazing things and it's not being, unfortunately not being uh, generated through the public enough. Absolutely. A lot going on and we'll get to everything. We had a huge weekend in the CWHL, uh, incredible amount of games and, and meaning to those matchups this past weekend. The Connecticut Whale opened up their home ice schedule with a big defeat of the Buffalo Buttes. They also traveled to New York on Sunday, uh, ended up doing some crazy things this weekend, which is uh, which we'll get to in the NWHL. NCAA hockey and NCAA basketball, a lot of action this week to catch you up on as well. And NCAA volleyball, the final four is set for Columbus, Ohio. We'll get you that. I know Kyle Westcott's really excited uh, to get to that topic, so we'll get to that in a few. But Kyle, we'll swing it over to you for the fun fact of the week. Share the fun fact of the week this week. Uh, in case you missed it on our uh, Twitter feed, Carolyn Willette uh, of not only Canadian national team fame, but also right now of the Montreal Lace Canadiens, uh, surpassed the 300 goal mark uh, for her career in the CWHL. She's the all-time point leader. Uh, and this season alone, let alone this season, at the age of 37, she is leading the CWHL with 23 points. Willette is a four-time Olympic gold medalist, and she captained the, the 2014 Team Canada team at the Sochi Olympics. Uh, having won at every level, Willette has now retired from international play, uh, but she could definitely easily, from her performance that we're seeing, uh, still be on the Canadian women's national roster. Uh, so just a great, great weekend for her, great weekend for Lace Canadians and all of Team Canada and anybody who's gotten to watch uh, will that play for the past uh, many, many years now? Um, uh, just around the league as well, I'm going to just follow up with that. Uh, we've had some shifting of some IWFL and WFA teams, uh, some additions to some WFA teams as well. So I'm very excited for <clears throat> that league to come back in uh, March. Also, tryouts and practices are going on right now. So if you're in a local area of any of these teams, uh, take a look at their websites and, and go out and 
play some football. Uh, the Australian Open is coming up soon as well. We'll get back into action there. Uh, and also the UWLX, specifically uh, here in the, the Boston area, they have teamed up with Gillette Stadium uh, and the New England Patriots uh, organization to host camps for uh, youth lacrosse players. Uh, it's very reasonably priced, and it's a great opportunity for young athletes to meet some of the professional women and the professional men uh, of the different lacrosse leagues in the area. Also, uh, NPF commissioner uh, also has said softball needs MLB support, uh, but not financially. So uh, I think we'll talk a little bit more about that, especially when NPF starts to roll around again, when this warm weather comes back, which we're not seeing in, in New England right now. Yeah, a little... A little under the weather, are we this week, Kyle? Yeah, a little under the weather, a little stuffy. Uh, you know, it's that <laughs> that turn into the cold, unfortunately, gets me every year. So, uh, yeah. battling it out right now. Finally, got some snow in the area these past couple of days, huh? Yep, yep. I was finally <laughs> able to to actually not just watch uh, some skiing, but actually get out on the slopes this past weekend. So, uh, just excited for myself to be. Back on the snow as well, as getting to watch, as I said, getting to watch World Cup races where uh, we had another spectacular weekend for uh, Michaela Schifrin um, with the women's slalom. Absolutely. I can't wait to get more into that when we get closer to the Olympic action and as these championships start to heat up a little bit more because I know there's some great talents out there that you know sometimes we run out of time to be able to talk about but there are some great athletes we're going to find out come this uh this next Olympic cycle um that you know people should start getting to know now ain't that right Kyle definitely and and now like you said now is the preliminaries now when people are training and getting ready for those Olympic games which are which is really just uh one winter away so um if you can follow any of these uh, sports, whether it's skiing, whether it's hockey, whether it's, um, you know, figure skating, any of these, these sports where these athletes are performing now and trying to qualify or trying to uh, improve their ranking to be able to be there at the 2018 Olympics, uh, get out and see them and, and follow these, these great athletes. Absolutely. And as we transition into the Canadian Women's Hockey League. We had some great action this weekend. Uh, we'll start with the Boston Blades taking on the Toronto Furies. We know the other matchup had some great uh, implications, so we'll save that for, for, for the recap of the CWHL. But Boston versus Toronto. Kyle, Boston's lone point this season came against the Furies in an overtime loss. I'll preface that with this. Did you think this weekend that Boston would leave this matchup with any points? against the Furies after what you had just seen against Montreal and, and Calgary, respectively? I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't because I've seen Toronto uh, really turn into a very solid team and turn into a team that is uh, now fighting at the, the heels of the Calgary Inferno and the, and the Lace Canadiens. So um, I, I thought that the Furies would come in and, and really dominate this matchup with Boston and, and, uh, I can't say that I was correct. <laughs> well, let's inform our fans about exactly what happened. In game one on Saturday, Emily Fulton and Michaela Cavill, they combined in the first period to take 
The Furies and give them a 2-0 lead going into the intermission. Megan Greaves, BC product, as you know, uh, cuts the deficit to one in the second period. So Boston's in it. It's a 2-1 to game. But then, you know, Toronto's, you know, they step up and, and figure out their offense. Caroline Prevost and uh, Jenna Dingledon, she's, they both scored. Dingledon actually scored her first goal of the season in this matchup to give the Furies a 4-1 to lead. And then Boston started a little bit of a comeback and, you know, got – got their juices flowing, not only for the end of this game, but for, for game two. And I, I'll get to that in a moment, but Kate Leary, she scores late in the second and then in the third, early in the third, to bring the Blades within one. So it's a 4-3 game. Toronto shuts down Boston after that. Lauren Dam, she made 50 saves. Boston went two of three on the power play. Uh, Connecticut, excuse me, not Connecticut, Toronto's uh, goalkeeper, Sammy Joe Small, she made 23 saves for the Furies. Unfortunately, Toronto was 0 for 4 on the power play, so they couldn't capitalize on the advantage. Uh, Toronto also outshot Boston 54 to 26, so 50 saves for Dam. Yet again, another big performance by the rookie goalkeeper. So before we get to game two, Kyle, this one looked like it was dominated by Toronto for the most part, but Boston had a little a little momentum brewing in this one. Yeah, and I I don't know if this was. This weekend, uh, the Blades just came out prepared or, or came out with, with something under the – a little fire lit in them. Um, but, but it certainly seemed like there was something more with the Blades this weekend than, than what we saw last weekend. And, and I don't believe that it was just level of competition because I do believe that Toronto is a very good team. So, you know, hopefully that this, this could be a, a little bit of a turning point for the Blades uh, because – Yes, Toronto still outshot them quite heavily, and yes, the Blades still gave up 54 uh, shots. But to be able to put up 26 shots themselves and to be able to, to score themselves, um, you know, I think is a huge thing for, for the Blades to move, start to move anyways, in the right direction. Absolutely. Coming into this matchup, Kyle, the Blades had given up 68 goals against and had only scored 10. And in this matchup against Toronto – they ended up leaving equal six goals for six goals against. And so they, they lose game one, but they come back in game two. And it looked again, like Toronto was going to run away with this one. They started strong in the first period, a two to zero lead. Michaela Cava, her sixth goal of the year. Um, and she's been phenomenal for, for the Fury so far this season. Dingle then she gets her second goal of the season and second of the series on the power play. Uh, in the first period, Toronto went one of three on the power play. So it looked everything was going Toronto's way. They outshot Boston 16-4. to four. But and then the, the, you know, the living legend of the Boston Blades, Tara <laughs> Watchorn, she gets on the scoreboard, Kyle, for the first time this season. So this is how you know this is just meant to be for Boston. When Watchorn gets on the board, and the Blades were outshot 16-6, to six, I mean, that's saying something, Kyle. I, I had my juices flowing a little bit here. Yeah, I mean, Watchhorn is a great player, and, and anytime she lines up for a shot, she's going to put it hard on net, and it's just a matter of time before some of those start to either get by the goalie or get deflected by the goalie. So, um, you know, anytime you you can get her at the point just firing away, it's going to be a good thing for the Blades. Unfortunately, they just haven't gotten that opportunity very often, and it really has to be either a power play or a or a five on three power play for her to to usually get you know really uh, solid zone presence before she can get those shots off. 
Well, you mentioned it. You talked about the tip in in front, the kind of the moving the puck around and trying to get that opportunity that's not normally set up on the offense, but trying to get that lucky bounce or, or that screen in front of the goalie. And that's exactly what Boston did in that third period. They outshot Toronto. And I'm not going to – I'll put it out there. I think this is the first time that Boston has outshot an opponent all season in a period. And you have to fact check that. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty um, – I'm going to say I'm, I'm confident that it is. And they outshoot Toronto 7-5. to Nicole Giannino, she scored her second goal of the season to get Boston in it. So they were down 2-0. They get two goals back. And now it's all even, Kyle. We go to, a, we go to overtime, scoreless overtime, back and forth play. The Furies go one for seven, that lone goal coming uh, in the first period on the power play. They outshoot Boston 40-19, to but we go into a shootout. And I'm going to welcome in Erica on this one because EA – Remind me, remind me again. Isn't it, isn't it Kyle who dislikes shootouts in hockey? No, no, no. I don't dislike ho- hockey shootouts. I dislike soccer shootouts. Oh, okay, okay. See, I, I got, I got all emotional about this yesterday, and we'll get to no, that. In no, no, no. All right, so. <laughs> so you dislike. All right, so this makes it even worse, Kyle. What, are you, what are you doing here? All right, so. <laughs> You, you you like the hockey shootout, but yeah. Boston goes into the shootout, and they defeat the Furies. They score two goals, Megan Myers and Melissa Bazzari. They score Janelle Kohanchuk and Aaron Ambrose. They miss. So Boston gets the win. And, again, I'm, uh, Kyle, this doesn't help your case at all, but if you <laughs> like shootouts and you're a Boston Blades fan, my next, my next move was to text Kyle, hey, Blades win, blades win, blades win. And he's the, the biggest negative person I, I've met in the past couple of months. Just no, saying, no. Who? What score? How did it happen? So explain yourself, Kyle. We're going to do a little segment of explain yourself right here. <laughs> come on, man. Uh, <laughs> come on, man. There you go. <laughs> no, I, I, just, I just wanted all of the facts, and I just didn't want you to get too hyped up because <laughs> – this was a shootout win. This was not a regulation win. So, yes, the Blades get a win in the win column. However, they, they needed to close the gap with Toronto, and they, they could have picked up three points, and instead they gave Toronto a point for going to overtime as well. So, yes, a win is a win is a win, but I'd like to see them just string together maybe more of these. Okay. Okay. EA, I'll bring you in. Welcome. Welcome as always. And gl- glad to have you back on the show. W- I mean, Boston gets a win. Can you, can you understand my excitement? Oh, do we not have EA yet? Yes, All right, well, Kyle, can, can you not understand Mike's? I get what you're saying. Let's not get too happy about a win um, this early in the season, but I mean, 68 to 10, that's pretty, that's a big disparity. And for Boston to string together this kind of game where they were down two to zero in the first period. And, and, you know, a team like Boston has found themselves in these deficits for so long this season and it only got worse. So for them to come back um, and then to, you know, like you said, the Furies are a really good team. They just swept less Canadians. Yeah. Uh, This was big. This this was, and and again, we're just going to have to see, uh, more of it because, like you said, they still are getting outshot heavily, and that's not a recipe for success uh, on the hockey ice. So I I don't know if this is something – I hope that they can sustain this, and I hope moving forward they can get another win or two under their belt soon 
Um, but certainly they can't they can't get outshot the way that they do. Well, absolutely. I mean, you're outshot 40 to 19. Absolutely, those opportunities are going to favor the opponent a lot more. Uh, let's try to get EA back in here for a second. EA, we'll see if we get you now. Um, this was obviously a big win, in my opinion, for Boston. Do, do you kind of side with Kyle on this one? Do we not get too excited about this early, or, or do you kind of understand where I'm coming from? No EA yet. All right, so we'll, we'll figure out this, this, the technical difficulties, and we'll try to get Erica back on the line. Um, Kyle, when you're talking about these two teams, for, for a while there we were writing off Boston, and it seems like you're not just ready to jump on the ship yet. No, I mean, unfortunately, when you look at the standings, the, the Blades are still quite a ways out, uh, even with uh, this victory here this past weekend. Um, and, and to really close that gap, they're going to have to win multiple games still. And again, when we've looked at the goal differential, when we've looked at the shot differential, when we've looked at the eye test, we're just not seeing them being able to pick up a lot of these victories, specifically against Montreal or against Calgary. Um, you know, Brampton, I think is, I still have high hopes for Brampton, even though, um, they're still not the team that, that we really thought they'd be at the beginning of the year. Um, but you know, I'm going to have to see a couple more of these, these blades, uh, victories before I, I jump on the bandwagon full force. (laughs) All right. That's, that's fair enough, Kyle. So when you're talking about these two teams, you obviously relate them to Calgary, and Montreal, the two teams on the, in the top of the standings right now, Montreal ahead of Calgary uh, by a point, just a game ahead. Um, do you, going into this weekend, excuse me, going into this weekend, obviously we were excited about this matchup. Every CWHL fan and hockey fan should have been excited for this matchup. Game one is at the Bell Center, and it, it's close to 6,000 fans there for the Heritage Classics, the first meeting between the top two teams in the league. Kyle, what are your thoughts about this matchup? This is the first time ever the Bell Center has hosted a professional women's hockey game. Well, this was huge. I mean, you think you think when we started talking about this, uh, what three three or four weeks ago, and we said, "Oh, this is going to be a great matchup." These two were undefeated to start the season, um, you know, and and they had to wait until December 10th to be able to play against each other. Um, it was almost a travesty that that the CWHL fans had to wait so long. However, this this lived up to the hype. And when, like you said, when you had this game at the Bell Center and you had so many fans there to see this great matchup and, you, and they were treated with a great game between not only two great teams, but two great goaltenders as well. Um, you know, I think this was just an all-around great performance, not just for, for these two teams, but a great performance for women's hockey to show all of the fans at the Bell Center just what great uh, – great athletes and great performances that the CWHL will give you. And what a game, Kyle. I mean, when you, when you talk about just putting it on display, I mean, we went to the winter classic and we were in awe of everything going on and to see this kind of matchup and then see Marie-Philippe Poulin, you know, who everybody knows in Canada, she scores midway through the first period. It's her ninth goal of the season, but and then we're just entertained with a phenomenal. And I mean, this, this is probably the best goaltending battle I've seen to date in my life. Emirates Mashmeyer and Charlene Labonte, they, they, they go at it. And, I mean, there's chances where Poulin is, 
is trying to shoot on Mashmeyer, and Mashmeyer just gloves it out the air, or a beautiful kick save, and Labonte on her end is doing the same thing. I mean, this was just incredible. Mashmeyer makes 31 saves, Labonte makes 25. Um, both teams go over on the power play. It, it was just an incredible hockey game, Kyle. Would you agree? Absolutely, and you're absolutely right. We just talked last week about how there's a possibility here that Mashmeyer may be the third goalie on her team, and then she gets put into the biggest game situation that she could this early in the season, and she proves herself, and she just plays phenomenal. And and like you said, some of the, the saves that she and Levante made were just unbelievable. And, you know, to, to have – two goalies at their peak performance at the same time. It, it was just an incredible, uh, incredible game. Absolutely. And you think about the whole goaltending thing going on in, in Calgary, uh, Delaney Bryant, she picked up big wins on the season so far and yep. she didn't even dress in this matchup. No, no. And, and that's, that's what Calgary has. They have such a depth in that goalie position. And, and uh, you know, if, if one of them is, isn't uh, hot, they can switch to, to two other great goaltenders. And, and that's really a, a, an asset that the Inferno have. And, and we know the Inferno have great scoring as well because they won the, the Clarkson last year. Absolutely. And this was a huge, you know, I, we talked about it. this is the first game since they met in the Clarkson cup championship where Calgary won eight to three. So, it, you know, a lot of people, might have said, hey, we don't know what to expect going into this matchup. We didn't think Calgary was going to blow out Les Canadiens that way in the championship. So what, what's to expect in this one? And a 1-0 game, I mean, does it get any better than that? Like, can, can you can – you, maybe a, a high scoring a game that's, that's pretty close that we might have seen this weekend in, in NCAA hockey, uh, number two Minnesota going down to BU, hint, hint. Um, but, I mean <laughs> – is it, I mean, Kyle, is it one of the best games that you've seen? Definitely. I mean, when especially as somebody like myself who really enjoys goalie play, uh, this was just an incredible matchup. And and I think, again, you know, for those 6,000 fans at the Bell Center that were able to see this live, all of the people who got to see it uh, online, this was just a, a great game to catch. And, and you got to see – um, the the best of the best going head to head, and I say that and I mean it. Those two teams are still the one two in the league. Absolutely, we'll try to get EA back in on here. EA, Calgary and Montreal. This matchup was phenomenal at the Bell Center. What were your thoughts of, of just the quality of the game that happened on the ice that day? Yeah, I was able to to catch the the tail end of the game, so I didn't I didn't get to see the goal, but I, I still saw really great hockey. Um, I think, as was mentioned, you know, just kind of the occasion, um, it being the the Heritage Night and being on, um, you know, in a, in a larger arena, and to see the fans be able to interact with the players in in a packed arena was was really exciting and good for the game. And just your thoughts on, on the goaltending battle. I mean, for me, I, I again, I'll say it again. I think this was probably the best goaltending matchup I've seen to date. Uh, Kyle is a big fan of, of goaltenders. You probably caught his, his goaltenders uh, top 10 last year. But for you, EA, 
Nash Meyer and Labonte, two Canadian national, national team goaltenders, um, going at it in this matchup. 25 saves for Labonte, 31 saves for Nash Meyer. Both teams going 0 for on the power play. I mean, phenomenal game, great goaltending. Yeah, I, I I don't think you can argue that. I think, um, you know, Mashmeyer, maybe I was paying a little more attention to her just because, you know, she was – her team, I should say, was, was in the corner. But, um, uh, again, it was just a really great matchup top to bottom. Absolutely. So, from game one, we go into game two on Sunday, and the Inferno, they come back in game two, and they score – the early goal, Bailey Brand gives them the lead in the first. But Anne-Sophie Batez, she notched the equalizer. And I think fans at the Bell Center on Saturday were a little disappointed they didn't get to see this. But Carolyn Willette, she nets her 300th career point, uh, most in CWHL history. It's incredible the, the, the accomplishment that she's been able to do with that. But all around in her career, and one of our, our if you heard the show uh, at the start, our fun fact was about Willette's 300th career uh, point. So, EA, to you first, this is incredible. And what happened on, on Sunday, kind of, although they didn't win the game, um, it, it was something that dominated headlines. And what did you think about Willette's 300th career point? I mean, I said it last last show. I think um, it's it's definitely an exciting milestone. Um, I, I don't know if she spoke. Um, well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if she didn't speak about it uh, post game. But it's one of those things that uh, she's probably just glad, uh, very thankful to have reached. Also, kind of glad that it's over, and probably in the moment would have liked it to come along with with a victory for her team. Absolutely. So Bailey, uh, excuse me, Blair Turnbull, she scores less than two minutes later to give Calgary a two-to-one lead at the first intermission. Um, Kyle, when you're looking at the back and forth between these two teams after that game on Saturday, um, well, let she get her 301st career point on a Ragu goal to even the game uh, at at 2-2. But after that, Calgary just kind of pulled themselves away. Bailey Bram, she got her second of the game. Uh, Bridget Laquette, she scored to double the lead at the end of the second. Sarah Davis added the fifth, added the fifth goal. Um, when you're thinking about Willette and what she was able to accomplish and then separating that from what these two teams are vying for at the end of the season, uh, what were your thoughts about this matchup just in general? Well, I, I think it's great that we're going to get to see these two teams go head-to-head more this year because, again, we're, we're uh, treated to great play every time these two play. And the Inferno in the second game were able to just get on the offensive side like they did in the Clarkson last year. And if they can outshoot, if they can outscore Lays Canadians, then they're going to win. When Lays Canadians is able to play great defense and slow down the Inferno offense, that's when when Lays Canadians has a shot to win. Um, You know, I think that I think that the Inferno are just, like I said, such a solid team. When you talk about not just their their offensive firepower, but like I said, their defensive and their goalies uh, are, are clearly uh, just a, a great group of, of players. Yeah, you mentioned it. Genevieve Lacasse, she got the start in this one instead of Mash Meyer, and she puts up 31 saves, gets the win. So when you're thinking about the goaltender death, EA, we talked about Delaney Bryant not being uh, addressed for this matchup. And Charlene Labonte seems like she's being used in these big matchups for Montreal. Do you think that that keeps um, Calgary ahead in, in kind of, you know, I guess projecting the final later on? 
Um, I, I, I don't know that I would say that. I think um, there are a lot of reasons why you might ride one goalie over another. Um, I think again, looking at Saturday's matchup, the you know um, Levante is, is definitely uh, a strong goalie. I think um, you know any given game can go one way or another. I think that it's going to be not just one singular player on either one of these teams that equally um, you could argue are stacked as far as um, you know solid individual players. I think what's going to really differentiate these two teams down the stretch is how they're able to um, one. Uh, stop the 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 star of the opposing team, and then two have players really step up and um, get production and productivity from from everywhere. Absolutely, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens coming into this next weekend with matchups with Boston playing Brampton, Calgary playing Toronto. A couple teams trying to figure out where they're going into uh, into this winter break. We we'll also have some great USA Canada matchups coming up later next week as well, I believe on the 17th um, for, for the national team. So uh, really exciting hockey talk. Let's move into the other professional league, the National Women's Hockey League. The NWHL had two games going on this weekend. Uh, a lot of great action, EA, but your New York Riveters played on Sunday. Let's first talk about the Buffalo Buttes and the Connecticut Whale. Uh, home opener for Connecticut at the Northford Ice Pavilion. Uh, great atmosphere there for the Whale Buffalo seemed to be a little slow coming out the gate. They were outshot by Connecticut twenty to one. Uh, excuse me, twenty to two. What were your thoughts about this matchup, EA? Well, I, I unfortunately I wasn't able to to see this matchup, um, so I'm really only going by the scoreline. And um, yeah, I think Buffalo was was ready. They were pumped up and and ready to um, to have an exciting home opener. And Buffalo was not. Absolutely, we'll we'll get Kyle back in. Kyle, what, you're you're the whale watcher here, I guess tonight, right? So so you were really excited <laughs> about getting into this conversation. The whale they jump into second place after their performance this weekend. Big win at the home opener against Buffalo. What were your thoughts about that first game on the weekend? Well, I mean, like you said, the the whale started off so hot in this game and. 20 shots in one period is just true dominance. I mean, you you not only are putting shots on net, but you're controlling the puck in your zone a lot if you're going to put up 20 and only give up two shots on goal. So that that's just a great start for the Whale. And, and the Whale, I mean, we've been waiting to see them turn into the team that they can be all year. And, and I'm trying to think back to what the turning point was because I think back to the, the Pride game in Boston – and, and the way that they came out on fire and the way that they really uh, pressed the pride and really pushed hard and, and held on to that game. And they were in that game until t- under two minutes to go in the, the game. And, and I wonder, and maybe I'm just not remembering the game before that, but I really think about that, that pride game. And maybe I'm thinking that's going to be the turning point for the whale this year, because I mean, they, like I said, they just, they came out on fire in this game too. Yeah, Sam Faber, Kelly Stack, Nicole Costa all scored twice. Costa, the Quinnipiac uh, graduate playing, you know, just down the street from uh, Hamden. So she gets two goals in this matchup. She's named the number one star 
Connecticut just really was clicking on all cylinders, Kyle. So when you're thinking about solving a, a goalie like Brianne McLaughlin, the way they did in that matchup, do you credit Connecticut and do you see them kind of distinguishing themselves from the field a little bit here? I mean, they certainly did enough to, to jump from fourth to second. So um, do I know whether it was uh, a bad game from McLaughlin or whether this was just a whale dominant performance? I'm not really sure, um, but certainly the whale proved, I, I believe that they would have scored not maybe not six, but they would have scored quite a few on any goalie the way that they were putting really good shots on net. Absolutely. And we saw that kind of carry over into game two. Less than 24 hours after playing the Buffalo Buttes, the Whale traveled down to Newark, New Jersey, to take on the New York Rooters. Uh, and EA, you were able to watch this one. This was an incredible game. Kelly Babstock, she got the scoring started. But then the Rivers came back and scored two goals in a span of 46 seconds to claim the lead. Uh, only to see that distinct, extinguished by a Kelly Babstock, a Bebby, excuse me, Kelly Babstock goal. Um, three goals in the second in a span of a minute and 22 seconds of game time. What were your thoughts about this matchup? Well, first is that um, New York has had difficulty having a strong start, and I do feel that um, both teams really came out the gate. Um, I don't know if it was necessarily strong, but at the least it was um, even. And, um, you know, but, but you see that it's, it's Connecticut that strikes first. Um, Kelly Babstock is a player that often it goes under the radar, but I mean, the performance that she had yesterday is just indicative of, of who she is, um, you know, for, for the whale. Um, and I actually, um, I thought it was, I thought it was Costa that had that first goal, um, but it, it looks like I'm looking at the summary and it looks like they gave Babstock that, that, um, that goal. So, um, but either way, both of those players, um, they played very, very aggressive. Nicole Costa was everywhere on the ice and Babstock always is everywhere on the ice. So, um, you know, they come out in, in the first period and they, and they get the one goal lead. The second period was extremely exciting. Um, you know, I think that's all you can say about it. You have Taylor Holtz, who gets her first career goal. Taylor is a player, a second-year practice player for the New York River. She had an injury that had her out a lot of the season last year, and an injury is actually what's been keeping her in the roster this season. And for the foreseeable future, she will be the the replacement for uh, Morgan Fritz-Ward, at least on the roster, if not uh, or I should say at least on the ice, if not uh, um, explicitly and officially on the roster as a rostered player. And this was an amazing um, just possession by the Riveters. They were able to get, um, you know, an on-man rush. And you have Rebecca Russo, Courtney Burke, who was on fire, and Taylor Holes. Uh, Taylor was able to slam it home for a first career goal. And then the captain, Ashley Johnston put like a little juke move. Didn't know she had it in her. There was a lot of conversation on why she wasn't in the shootout, um, you know, uh, last week. And I, I said, I, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if stretch has the moves. Uh, and I was proven uh, wrong. She's, she's got the, the, the handle. Um, and so she gets the riveters ahead in the second period, huge 
back-to-back goals less than a minute apart. However, uh, it is Kelly Babstock uh, and Connery and Costa. I mean, that, that trio really created problems um, in this game. And it, it looked like Babstock just, you know, she shot a, a hard shot. Fitzgerald, it looked like, she might have had it in her glove and then it was tipped in. So I don't, I, it was some kind of a, a you know, it took an, an, an odd bounce. And um, that was enough though, to get Connecticut even and kind of um, a momentum breaker for New York. And then in the third period, you see Babstock, oh my goodness, on the complete tear goes one-on-one against Fitzgerald and just completely gives her everything she's got. Um, and is able to beat her on a shorthanded goal. And then Connery, who had looked like she had uh, taken a, a little bit of a fall with a block shot, um, came off the ice with a what looked like an injury, able to come back into the game and really seal the deal for Connecticut. Shots were shots on goal were a lot more even than they they're usually they usually are for the Riveters in this game. But oh my goodness, the power play! They're 0 for five on the power play on Sunday. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the second 0 for 5 uh, power play performance by the New York Riveters. And that's just not going to, that's not going to win the games. Um, so Connecticut uh, spoke to Costa a little bit after the game, you know, they're, they're a team that they had two shutouts back to back and they, they really wanted a strong home opener. They, they're the last team to be able to play in front of their home crowd. And they got that. Um, and, you know, they just, they just needed to, to be able to, to get back to basics and show what they can do. The fact that in some minds, I'm sure they were able to do that without uh, stack Trevino and Scrupa, I think really just shows what kind of a team Connecticut can be. As far as the Riveters, you see a lot of great hockey out of New York, but you seldom, if ever, have seen a complete game from the New York Riveters. And that's going to be a problem. You look at the number three, or excuse me, two, three, and four team in this league, they're separated uh, at the most by two points. That meaning the Connecticut Whale are two points up on the New York Riveters right now. So that's one game in a weekend that can completely shift the, the, the seedings around. And that's going to matter when Boston is ahead of everyone in the field by um, at least eight points. And and EA, do you see or have you heard anything about the return of Kessel? I mean, I think her offense could be a a spark that New, New York desperately needs right now. I agree with that. Um, presumably, she's on her way back, um, only because she did travel with the the United States team, and um, you know, so so hopefully that will bode well to her return. Uh, however, just to you know, look at another national team player that's been dealing with injury. We know that um, Hillary Knight was able to return with Team USA, but then had um, some difficulty coming back, I suppose, with um, with the Boston Pride. So not exactly sure what Castle's situation is. Um, and I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, and looking at the standings now, Boston's ahead with obviously their undefeated record at 8-0 with 16 points. Connecticut, after the weekend, jumps to second after being in fourth place with eight points. Buffalo at seven and New York at six. But as EA mentioned, these games become that much more crucial as the season winds down, especially head-to-head matchups. 
Buffalo and New York both with one more game than one more game played than Connecticut and Boston. Some other news coming out of the NWHL. The All Star Game was announced for Pittsburgh. Uh, are you guys excited? Because Pittsburgh is a really great city, but there's a lot to talk about with this All Star Game. Yeah, I mean, I I think that it's a great uh, opportunity to showcase the NWHL in another city. Uh, we've talked a lot about, you know, possible expansion and things like that. And I don't believe we ever brought up Pittsburgh. So I think this is a, a great opportunity for them to uh, showcase it. And if they are thinking about expanding, uh, maybe Pittsburgh is one of those uh, next next up. And yeah, I'll swing it over to you. Same question. Yeah, I think I think it is going to be exciting. I think, um, you know, the elephant in the room, though, with the announcement of the All-Star Game is just the timing, wondering if this was something that was in the works, um, given that salaries have been cut. And, um, and another story that we'll get into is now, you know, two players have um, resigned or retired from the league uh, in wake of the salary cuts. So the argument being, well, one, is this something that the league needs to be doing as far as what kind of money is being put into this that potentially could be going to the players directly? Um, So that's a question I think that a lot of people have. I think that, you know, some people though see this as an opportunity. Pittsburgh is uh, a hockey town. And and certainly if you're coming off of the NHL season, um, big opportunity to um, reach out to a market that's, that's really um, riding high on cloud nine, if you will, uh, when it comes to hockey being the reigning champions and the penguins. And there's an obvious connection there with Amanda Kessel and Phil Kessel, as well as it's very documented that Kelly Stedman, who is um, working in the Pittsburgh area, you know, her attachment um, to RMU out there. So I do see the opportunity uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that opportunity plays out. But I think that if we hadn't seen salary cuts, um, people might be a little more excited than they are right now. Yeah, and EA, you just alluded to it. Uh, Ivana Bilic of the Connecticut Whale, she decided to depart from the team following this weekend's two games against Buffalo and New York. Um, the league, in, in a statement, basically said from Danny Ryland that, you know, they didn't really want to lose players due to the salary cuts, but understand that, this is something that's bound to happen um, and obviously wish Ivana well in her future endeavors. And we want to do the same here at my W sports, but yeah, you brought up a great point. I, I think I had the same reaction and not only that, but obviously things are going to change with what's been going on with the league, but Pittsburgh wasn't even a city on our radar. Uh, and I'm just being honest. I don't think anybody between us or in the hockey community knew that the NWHL was, was, was even chatting with Pittsburgh. We, we were teased with maybe Detroit, Chicago, some Canadian area teams and stuff like that. Um, but I think in light of what, what's happening and what's still bound to happen throughout the next couple of weeks in the holiday break, um, this doesn't really make me that happy. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 again, I'm, I'm kind of having mixed feelings. Pittsburgh is a great city for a number of reasons, um, you know, but I, I can understand the, the, the trepidation um, I think it, it boils down to mostly the, the salary cuts. I think if 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 I if I think outside of the salary cuts, 
um, looking to grow the game, it makes sense. It still doesn't align with maybe some of the teas that we saw, but then again, uh, to date, nothing really has. So, you know, that's just one of those things you chalk up to, okay, that was um, interesting at least uh, confusing somewhere in the middle and like, on some WT heck level <laughs> um, if you want to be really cynical. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I understand where you're coming from. I, I completely do. I think if, if you know, if you want to just take the, the optimistic route, you, you just hope that um, as we did, you know, that, that also the NWHL sees that there is also a, a, a market in women's sports in in Pittsburgh uh you know with the Pittsburgh passion and and um you know other local uh colleges in the area um you know Penn State not being too far away obviously we know what their their soccer team has done so maybe if I see some of that marketing happening um particularly in in a market that's already supporting women's sports not just a market that's supporting hockey um I think that could be interesting. Absolutely. And Kyle, your thoughts on, on the whole all-star game in Pittsburgh as well. I mean, I, I think that I hope anyways, that the um, facility and the fan turnout will show to be um, a positive. I I hope that this isn't a, let's hope we can go to Pittsburgh and let's Mm -hmm. hope we can get fans. And then it's a bust because that would be the, absolute worst thing that could happen. Um, but if the fan turnout is good and, and there is a lot of support for uh, women's hockey in general, uh, you know, maybe it is a good opportunity to start something in Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh is a, a close enough drive to the New York area and the Buffalo area that, you know, I, I can't say that I, I would hate to see a team there in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I think that's a great point, but I think you said it, you hit it right on the head with let's let's not hope that this is going to happen in Pittsburgh, you know, let's make sure that it is happening. And like EA said before, is let's make sure the players are getting a bigger cut to whatever they deserve out of this pie because, you know, the questions that come to mind for me is where's all this money going because you have mm-hmm. sponsorships, you have all this other stuff, you just increased your salary cap, but but you couldn't even afford that. So So how are you going to afford everything else that's coming your way? Um, and, and that's where I get iffy. I, I'm a, I mean, people know I've, I've been committed to the NWHL since April of 2014 when I first found out that they were going to be announced. But, I mean, like any other fan, I'm, I'm just as frustrated and upset with what's going on, and I can't be happy about an all-star game when, when players are leaving. We just saw a player leave today, um, mm-hmm. and that, that crushes me. So we'll see. We'll, we'll keep you updated, but it, it's a tough situation for me as a fan to uh, – to, to, you know, be excited about the All-Star game. And, and also we have to remember as they head on the holiday break, you know, we could see more uh, players choose not to return after that break due to the salary cuts, due to, you know, what they do over this time period. Uh, are they going home? Are they going to stay home? Are, you know, they going to continue to make four-hour treks uh, to go to practice, you know, I don't know. So this is, this will be a telling uh, month break here. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I think it's um, a matter of, 
you know, it, it seems on social media and just speaking to some of the players, but, you know, they're really invested in trying to do things to, to help them themselves and their teammates out. I think um, we haven't heard much yet um, from what the league is doing. We know that Dunkin' Donuts came through with an additional $50,000 that is uh, slated to go directly to the players. Um you know, the cheddar deal came through just before the salary cuts, if I'm remembering the timeline accurately. And then the only other thing that we hear after the salary cuts is is the All-Star game, which, again, not knowing what is being um, underwritten, if you will, by the Pittsburgh Penguins, who we hear are a very uh, eager and, um, you know, gracious partner, you know, again, it, it are the Penguins paying for this? Uh, is there another sponsor that's paying for this? If Is the league paying for this? And if they are, well, what the heck? Why the heck are they paying for this and not paying for the talent and the players? So, again, I think it's really just more questions than answers. Um, and, I, honestly, I, I think we kind of find ourselves in the same situation that we were in before the salary cuts during the salary and during the salary cuts, and that's that we don't have – more information, the information that we do have, you know, creates confusion and at the least, and certainly frustration for some. And I guess the, the, the overall question is, um, you know, is the NWHL in a better position than they're letting on? Um, but then I guess I would follow that up with, but if they are, why not just say that? Uh, I think this is an opportunity to really get some good press and to, to extend an olive branch to the players and to fans who have been asking for more transparency. As a privately owned business, do they have to do that? Absolutely not. But I think there's a, a time when you have to put some pride to the side, so to speak, in order to get people more comfortable with the product. And, and I think that's where the NWHL is. And I don't know that we've seen enough of that just yet. Yeah, that's a great point, EA, and very well said because when you think about it, um, and we kind of see a little bit of it now with Danny Ryland kind of committing to using the NWHL.zone forum to, to give more transparency and writing more letters to the public and the fans. And uh, we, we know that the players and the league are going to go through their own things in, in confidentiality. Um, but it was good to see kind of that letter put out Although it wasn't a lot, it was still, I get the thought behind it. So uh, along with that point, I, I completely understand. And we'll see what happens with the NWHL. We have plenty of time, uh, especially over the break, to figure out, you know, if sponsors will be added, if, uh, as you mentioned, are they off in, a, in a better off position than they have alluded to. So going from these two leagues, um, let's talk about some college hockey. A lot going on this weekend. Number one, Wisconsin. They took a weekend sweep of Ohio State scoring 12 goals combined in both shutouts, 7-0, 5-0. The big game on the weekend was Boston University hosting number two Minnesota, a rare feat for a uh, West Coast or WCHA team to make the trip over to the New England area. Um, But Minnesota did so. They played Boston University. They defeated the Terriers 5-1 in the first game. But then in the second game, BU got off to a hot start. Both teams scored five goals going to overtime. And then it's been going around social media what might be the best student radio call in history of student radio calls. Uh, Boston University takes the win 6-5 in overtime, defeating number two Minnesota, a big win for the Terriers on the weekend. Minnesota Duluth moved up to number three in this week's rankings, but fell to Minnesota State in game two after defeating 
uh, Minnesota State 3-0 in game one. Clarkson also suffered not a defeat, but a draw against Syracuse 2-2 before, before defeating Syracuse 4-1 uh, on Saturday. In North Dakota, they earned a weekend sweep. Number 10 ranked North Dakota, they earned a weekend sweep of St. Cloud State. Two big victories for North Dakota. So for, for you, Kyle, what was the biggest storyline coming out of college hockey uh, this weekend for you? I mean, we still have a long way to go until we start to reach the playoffs. However, uh, this Minnesota BU uh, two-game set was a huge uh, tell for for what we've been talking a lot about. And we, we say, oh, the WCHA, the WCHA is, is the, the uh, conference to beat, and they could have three teams in the Final Four. And, and unfortunately, you know, you, you put a team like Minnesota, who is a great team, up against the BU, and, and yes, in game one, they, they did show that they were the powerhouse that we've been talking about, but but this is college hockey, and anybody can beat anybody, and, and BU proved that on, sun, on the second game, it, you know, just not only knocking off Minnesota, but, but scoring with Minnesota, making it a, a 6-5 game. I mean, that, that right there just says that they're they're going to shoot and they're going to score. And, and Minnesota has a great goaltender. Wisconsin has a great goaltender, but if you can score on them, uh, you have an opportunity to win. And EA, some, you know, some big games this weekend. What were your thoughts about the weekend in college hockey? Did we lose EA there? Well, Kyle, I'll put this one on you. Peters for Minnesota. She gave up eight goals against Wisconsin and then gives up six against Boston University. Obviously, she's still a rookie, but is that something that teams can now capitalize on? Well, they're going to have to. I mean, if you're going to beat Minnesota, like I said, you're going to have to shoot with them. Uh, They're a high-scoring offense, and, you know, if if you're going to beat them, you're going to have to outscore them. And uh, I I think that if if she's – we have, like I said, we have a lot of time before the actual playoffs, so she has a lot of time to to buckle down and refocus and kind of get her mindset set for the for the big games. Uh, but if if she's going to give up goals like this, then then yeah, they're not going to beat Wisconsin or Minnesota Duluth or or a lot of these teams that are going to come out of either the ECAC or the or the Hockey East. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll go back to you. So a lot of great action this weekend in college hockey. Anything that caught your attention? You know, I, I was um, pretty locked in for the NWHL, but I think, again, that, that um, overtime win by BU was huge, I think. Um, but as, as we've been saying for a while, um, with the women's hockey landscape and, and the NCAA, you really can see that, you know, any one team can, can take it to another and at least give us a, an exciting game and, and really walk away with some points there. So I think that was just um, – a really great example of um, what we hope will continue to be an exciting season as, as we come down the stretch and get ready for, um, you know, the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be really fun to, to watch a lot of these teams, not just the top teams, but a team like Syracuse, which tied Clarkson uh, and even a team like Minnesota state playing spoiler against number three, Minnesota Duluth, not a lot of movements in the rankings, obviously Minnesota losing Minnesota Duluth losing Clarkson having a tie Uh, teams have stayed the same Boston college for some random reason. Don't let my bias fool you, but they stayed at six 
after scoring 14 goals in the last two games? I mean, I don't know, committee. You might be doing something around there that I'm not too happy about, but we'll see. Uh, a lot going on. Uh, Syracuse will actually play Boston College in January to start the, the second half of the season, so that should be a lot of fun. From hockey to some basketball. Now, I have a bone to pick with both of you. Um, we talked last week about number one UConn, not, you know, maybe not deserving to be number one. You know, we'll wait till they play Notre Dame to see how good they actually are. Well, we got that matchup, and, and UConn won. So how are you guys feeling about this? Yeah, do you want to... yeah, yeah go ahead. You start Stand by everything that I said. You have all these undefeated teams coming in. Heck, yeah, we want to see who's going to be the best. So, you know, I am a huge UConn fan, but, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and blow smoke up anyone's butt, you know. Let, you know, set it up. Put that chip on their shoulder and show us what you can do. And I believe, uh, let's set the record straight, uh, Mr. Snarky with the tweets here. I believe what I said uh, was, Let's see if um, if the the legacy of UConn basketball will win out as it has consistently since Gino Ariema took over. Um, and so we didn't have those answers definitively, and and you know let's not pretend like we did last week. Um, and and so yes, uh, you know Notre Dame is is a more than worthy opponent. Um, and so coming into that game, let's see who, who was going to what, – what UConn team was, was going to show face. And I think that's exactly what we did. So, yeah, I stand by my words 100%. All right, snarky snarkerson. Listen, <laughs> listen, our, we're both like, – like you said last week, we're all UConn fans. We all, we all like UConn. We all want UConn to do well. However – I'm going to call it like it is. And and Mm -hmm. if I think that there's a a kink in the armor, then I'm going to say it. Last year, I didn't think that there was any opportunity for anybody to beat UConn because they were that deep. They were that strong. They were just that good. I, I still have question marks after that game about the depth of UConn. They are a great team. They are, they have taken on the top teams in the nation already, and they have beaten quite a few of them. However, when you look at this game specifically, if you look at the players who had more than 10 minutes of action, they only had six players that got more than 10 minutes of action. Mm. Now, when you look at Notre Dame, I will be honest, they only had seven of those. However, UConn is going to come up against teams that are going to be able to roll four or five people in and out quickly like we saw last year with Chattanooga that gave UConn a little bit of a scare. When you can get fresh legs in there, when you can get fresh shooters in there, if you can have somebody sustain a, a attack throughout the course of a game, if you're only playing six players, that's going to be an issue for UConn in the future. So this is a good win. It is a great win for, for UConn, especially this UConn team. But – this isn't the uh, this isn't the championship. This is mm. December, um, early in December. So there's a long way to go, and the tournament, as we know, can be brutal for any team. Mm. So, so you guys done? You guys done <laughs> Snarky Sanchez over here has something to say. All right. So so I, I get it. All right. You know we don't want to be biased. We don't we don't want our hometown colors to show, but. I have to disagree with you guys because 
from the start, I, I thought UConn should have been number one coming into the season. Um, there's no way you're the defending champs. You return, yeah, you lost three players to the draft, but you return a, a, an incredible, incredible amount of draft, not draft, excuse me, uh, top 50 ESPN players on your roster. Not only yeah, 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 yeah. Hold on, hold, 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 hold on. Which, which three players yes. um, did they lose, and what, what numbers did they go in the WNBA draft? I just, okay. just want to okay. put they for went, context. Well, all right, all just right. I'm context. sorry. You're right. You're right. I should have I put that in there. So, Brianna Stewart, Morgan Tuck, um, and, and Mariah Jefferson. They, they're all gone. Who went, they all left. Who went they're, one, two, and two and three. Okay. And okay. Just, just and, wanted and to in the WNBA draft, not to only they went, they went one, two, and three in the okay. WNBA draft. I got you. I got okay. you. Now, okay. Wasn't now, one of them the rookie of the year? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. But did that happened. Did you forget about Kia Nurse? Did you forget about Samuelson? What, what happened about Williams and Collier? I mean, did you guys forget about these players? Of course not. But no. you can't say that it's just oh, just three players, only three players from UConn. No, no these are uh, at least. Um, in contention for, you know, top players in UConn history. Definitely. Non-negotiable with Stewart. I think. So let's just make sure, you know, we we, we call it like it is. I get that. Like I I said, I get that 100%. I understand the plateau that those three players are on. But you can't can't just extinguish what Coach Gino Ariema has been able to do in his time as the head coach at UConn, you can't just extinguish an 80 or 70 plus at that time game winning streak coming into the 2016, 17 season. There's a lot of great things that it goes beyond just the players sometimes. And I think a lot of people focused on what UConn lost instead of what they gained in, in kind of their losses. And that's something that we do a lot is, well, oh, this team's going to be bad because they're awful. And I'm sorry to do this, but one of the big examples is, Everybody thought Detroit Lions were going to be god-awful because they lost Calvin Johnson. But they're, they're fighting for a division title. They're one of the top teams in football. So yeah, I, I you lost me there. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> all right, well, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, it, when you, when you lose something, a lot of people make that to be the issue. And I think that's what people got caught up on with UConn. Um, and I, I have, think – and and where I would tilt that conversation is it's not it 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 definitely is what UConn lost especially with that senior class and you could argue that it wasn't just those three seniors that they lost um, you know I made this case last year you know there are a lot of players on that UConn team that were integral and made that starting five the best they could be because of what they brought to practice every game. So you also have to keep that in context. Yes. Context, excuse me. Yes. UConn, we look at those superstars because they churn them out like nobody else. However, with that said, just like you were saying, um, Kyle, you know, who's, who's coming off the bench, who has the experience, you know, how are those players, how have they been able to grow within and, and, you know, under the shadow of these UConn stars and, and who are they going to be when they're the ones that are going to have to answer the call. And those are the questions that we didn't have answers to coming into this season. I don't think that you can say that we had a definitive understanding of even someone like Kia Nurse, who she was going to be coming into this season. We were hopeful, especially because she had her first Olympic run, but even that was difficult, not only for Team Canada, but for Kia Nurse herself. So how does she grow from that? So I don't think, I don't see it as a snub 
I think if UConn uses it as a snub, more power to them because, again, they have the pedigree to grow. But I don't think that you can say when looking at a lineup and who's returning from a UConn versus maybe a South Carolina, just the way that we know um, basketball analysts look at things, um, and that's, that's not always, you know, the golden standard, quite honestly, but we were able to – to see a little bit more of the, the unit, the core unit from some other programs play together and play with the, the seniors that they lost as compared to a UConn. And I think that's fair. I think that's fair. However, also, again, going back to that pedigree, UConn, this isn't the first year that they've had that problem. So they've been able to continue to stay on top, knowing that there are players that maybe didn't play a lot. Maybe they, they are one of the players that plays less than 10 minutes a game. And then the next year they come back and they have to be the superstar. So I, I completely get where you're coming from, but I don't, I, 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 I'm still standing by it. It wasn't a lock with this UConn team coming in. So, and Kyle, I'll bring this one to you. So, so you're saying there's still a long way to go. There's still a lot to happen. Uh, especially come tournament time, and EA, I'll ask you this as well. But so Kyle, for you, they're not they're not your lock yet. I mean, because I think for me, UConn made a big statement not only with the wins against the top teams, but that win win against Notre Dame. Notre Dame and Baylor were the two top teams to compete against them. And yeah, people are throwing Maryland in there right now, but Notre Dame and Baylor were the two top teams coming in. People expected to knock them off. They've handled those two tests. What are your thoughts? Do you think that they're the number one team now? I think that they deserve the number one ranking right now, yes. Um, but, again, I wouldn't say that they're a lock to win the national championship for the fifth time because, again, when you get into the tournament, it is grueling, and anybody can be knocked off in the tournament. And especially if, if they're not going to be as deep as they've been in the past, uh, I, I, would be, I would be fearful for, for an upset that we're not even looking at. You know, I mean, you're right. Maryland's coming up soon. They still have uh, South Carolina on the schedule in February. Um, you know, both of those games are going to be very difficult games. And then, you know, like I said, tournament time, you never know. And, and I, I truly believe that this is a team that, unfortunately, and I hate to say this, but they're one injury away mm-hmm. from, from really taking a step back. And, and I never want to wish that on anybody. But, um, you know, it, with, with the – the smallness of the team with the team that doesn't have a ton of depth. Uh, I worry about that all the time. Mm. And how about you? Yeah. They're not, are they not a lock yet for you? Do you still think that they have some, some things to, to figure out before they can be uh, a fifth time national championship or champion? I do. I do. And that's no, no doubt with Gino and his, and his team of, of um, coaches. I mean, we, we know what they can do. So I don't doubt Gino, but I, and I, I know that UConn will be a contender, but there are a lot of teams that have a chip on their shoulder. And there are a lot of teams that are hungry because of how things uh, shook out last season. Um, Not only last season, but definitely in the NCAA tournament. So to say that any team right now is a lock, I think would be uh, misguided. Uh, at the least, um, you know, we're, we're seeing teams, we're starting to see the competition really open itself up. And we've been talking about this at least for a year, and we've been seeing it for a couple of years now in NCAA women's basketball. And that makes for really exciting basketball. And it just so happens that UConn is in a position now where they're, um, they're, they're more 
in a and it's never really a rebuild with Yukon, but they're they're a little more vulnerable um than the dynasty that, that people are used to. Um so I, I, I don't wanna say that they're a lock, no. I don't feel comfortable saying that and I don't think that that is um showing the respect that is deserved for some of these other programs. And speaking of some other programs, Kyle mentioned that there's a big matchup coming on at the end of the month against number four ranked and undefeated Maryland. Uh, back a couple of years ago, Maryland and UConn had some great matchups in the Final Four and in the NCAA tournament, so that's going to be a good one to see. Uh, Arizona State knocked off number 15, Kentucky, in overtime, 73-71. EA, this one was fun to watch. Washington's Kelsey Plum, 44 points against Boise State. She becomes the Pac-12's top scorer. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, again, another player and another program that you have to keep your eyes on. And if you, if anyone out there listens to LaChina Robinson's um, podcast, um, you know that the Pac-12, you know, sometimes they get a little bit of a chip on their shoulder as a conference. Um, This is a conference, you know, they feel that there's East Coast bias. And so they play later uh, than, than most of us are up on the East Coast. And so some of the great games, some of the great players, we don't always witness. Um, and, and Kelsey Plum is one of those players that I had in mind when I was thinking about who's, who's coming up in the ranks. Um, and so for her to get this uh, accomplishment, you know, in the company of, of players like, um, you know, uh, Neka and Chini Agumike, Candace Parker, as far as that conference, Pac-12, um, that's that's pretty amazing. Absolutely. And some other news coming out of another basketball program, Elena Christianaki, an international student from Greece, she decided to quit Florida basketball program after refusing a suspension where the coach said her and another player engaged in conduct that was detrimental to the Gator family and community. Uh, she refused that suspension, and after serving a first-half suspension in their last game, uh, I guess there were some, some talks about it, but her bio was removed from the website, and I believe that she's going to look into transferring. So some news coming out of Florida um, with Elena Christianaki. Some other news, Kyle, the Harvard Crimson are 8-1. and one. They defeated Kansas 69-59. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge win for, for Harvard. Uh, eighth straight win on the season. Uh, to knock off a, a team like Kansas is a great feat for them. Uh, Jeannie Boehm had a double-double to lead them. And, and again, this is just, you know, for a small time, if you will, an Ivy League school uh, to go and play a, a team like Kansas. For head coach Kathy Delaney-Smith, this is just a huge win for the, for the Harvard program. Absolutely. Delaney Smith has done some great things with Harvard since taking over a couple of Ivy League titles and NCAA tournament appearances. Some other news in NCAA basketball, Christine Anigua, she scores 50 points to become the first Cal basketball player, men or women, to score, or excuse me, to score 50 points. Uh, the previous record was 48. Cal is now 8-0 on the season, so watch for uh, the Golden Bears later on in the year. So now let's wrap it up with some NCAA volleyball. Kyle, we had our special this week. I think you might be able to glow a little bit. You had <laughs> quite the picks. I sure did. I I, uh, I had a, a good little intuition there, and uh, I'd like to thank the uh, the Creighton uh, team for for helping me keep dancing, and and they were my huge upset pick, and and uh, they did just that. Uh, defeating Michigan to, to move on to the Elite Eight, which is a, a great feat for a small school like Creighton. Absolutely. The Blue Jays of Creighton were dancing, but they uh, 
they ran into a tough team in that in that next matchup. But let's get right into it, Kyle. We had some Sweet 16 action that gave us probably the, the, some of the best volleyball we saw all season long. A couple of five setters. Uh, Penn State bringing Nebraska to the brim. BYU in Texas, we talked about that in the preview show, that that was going to go five sets. It absolutely did. Um, what were your thoughts? I mean, was, was Nebraska coming back from 2-0 the big storyline? Was Texas BYU the storyline? I know you're not too big on the Gophers, but, but they kind of handled, they handled Missouri and UCLA. Handled, but but yet uh, even Missouri took took a game on Minnesota and made that interesting. I mean, this was just a shock uh, Friday to watch each of these games go five sets and and each of these just be so close all the way through. And and you saw Nebraska and Penn State, for instance. Nebraska handled Penn State during the year, and yet it comes tournament time. And and I guess you were right. The third time is tough to win. And uh, this one was much closer than than I expected. Uh, so Nebraska wins in five, Texas wins in five, and then they go on in their next round. And, and I thought Nebraska-Washington was going to be the big matchup. And Nebraska handles Washington to move on to the Final Four. Texas handles Creighton 3-0 to move on to take on Nebraska in the Final Four. Uh, Minnesota t- takes out UCLA in three. And then our really our only uh, close game in the in the Elite Eight was the Stanford Wisconsin match, which I, I thought Wisconsin was going to be there in the end, and uh, Stanford was just too strong, and and they're going to continue on with a, a five set win here against Wisconsin as well. So, just a, a great Sweet Sixteen, a great Elite Eight. Uh, the Final Four is set for Thursday. It's going to be on ESPN two. You can watch. Minnesota and Stanford going head-to-head at 7 p.m. first, and Nebraska and Texas going head-to-head at 9.30, which is the national championship rematch for last year. So we don't have to wait for a rematch uh, until the championship game. We get to see that at 9.30 this Thursday night. Absolutely. It's going to be some fun. A A lot of great action going on and Kyle I found myself just you know watching game after game after game and you know we were tweeting back and forth during uh, Friday with all the games Um, it's it's incredible to see this because now we have in one bracket you know I'm big on Minnesota but a lot of people didn't expect Stanford to be here although Stanford this is their 20th time that's a program that's a record for the NCAA uh, tournament appearances in the final four so we talked a little bit of, uh, and also the other matchup, Nebraska-Texas in the national championship rematch of a year ago. We talked about it in our previous show, but what's your pick? Who are you going for in this one? I mean, I'm going to stick with, with Nebraska here. I think, you know, we talked a lot about the Rolson twins and just how dominant they are, not only offensively, but also defensively. But what you saw in that, that Penn State match was Brianna Holman really come into her own, and she had 17 kills to lead the, the Cornhuskers in that, that match as well. So, um, you know, they're just a great all-around team. They returned so much from last year um, from a national championship team, and I just think that they know how to win. And I, I, I have to give it to Nebraska because I just think not only with the experience but with the players that they have on the floor, I, I think that they're going to hang on and win this one. And uh, who are they playing in that national championship? Ooh, you know, it's tough for me to to not go with the Gophers because I, I do like the Gophers a lot. Um, but but I'm going to say that Stanford here could very well uh, 
could very well get the upset over Minnesota in the first game. So you've got Stanford. See, I've got, I've got Minnesota going up against Texas in that national championship. And, I, I, I mean, I like Texas. I like what they've been able to do so far. But I, I'm sticking with my guns on Minnesota. I do agree with you. I think Stanford's a very dangerous team. They've only given up one, uh, one set up, up until that matchup against Wisconsin. So I think they're a very, very, very dangerous team. But, uh, but I've got Minnesota, and I think they'll, they'll defeat Texas. Um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll all find out on Thursday who will be in that national championship. Uh, so definitely check it out. And if you haven't heard, there is breaking news that the semifinals will be on ESPN, not on ESPN2. So ESPN again this Thursday, 7 and 9.30. You can catch those two great matchups. Absolutely. So definitely catch that. Obviously, if you need any updates on sports in the past week, check out MyW Sports. Uh, before we go, EA, is there anything that we missed uh, that you wanted to touch on? Um, you know, I I think that that we um, we pretty much covered everything. I think as as far as hockey and, and WHL, where that's that's where I'm focusing. Um, really, just want to continue to press um, for for fans to regardless of where you might be as far as the all-star game and some of the, the issues just to, to think about um, something that Anya Bataglino actually told me. And she's like, you know, if there's one thing that goes wrong in an entire system, yes, you want to fix that one thing, but you don't necessarily, as the term goes, throw out the baby with the bathwater. So, um, you know, just to find ways that are comfortable for you to continue to to support um, the league, if that's what you want to do. Um, and just remember that, you know, these players are, are working hard. They're often their own agents, their own saleswomen. Um, you know, they do their own social media. So uh, just, just find ways to, to really support them. And, and same thing as, as far as um, all of the other women's sports that we've talked about. Unfortunately, you know, women have to work a lot harder to, to um, make a case that their game's deserve to be on ESPN when we know good and well um, from the games that we've talked about this week and the week prior that there's a lot of really good action that's happening for these athletes. Um, So just, just make sure that we take the opportunity to show again, continually, there is a. I think so. Well, but I, I agree, and I'll just jump on that point as well. Um, you know, I think that it's it, just this past weekend, um, you know, I, I jokingly tweeted, but but I'll say it now. You know, you, you look at a player like Nicole Costa, who doesn't really get the the talk that she really deserves. Two goals in, in game one, three uh, assists in game two in her series this weekend. And this this is a player that, that deserves – not just what she is, what she was supposed to get in her contract this year, but a lot more. And, and, you know, we don't talk, not we, cause she's one of my favorite players now, but, but <laughs> uh, media doesn't talk enough about players like this, that, that deserve to be paid for what, what they're doing out there and, and just the experience and the, the, all the things that they have to go through to be able to go and play on that ice. Absolutely. And that's, you know, both of you guys brought up a great point and, you know, I want to reiterate it, go out there on, on social media, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, show your favorite players, your, your teams, your, your leagues, some, some love, tag them in a post, you know, show that favorite Jersey that you have. Um, and maybe you should do something with it, you know, my W support or something. I, I don't know, but you know, 
if you have a photo, tweet it. Send it to us at MyW Sports on social media, uh, and we'll be sure to retweet it and like it. Uh, and so show, show some support your way as well. Uh, I think that's, that's a great point by, by the both of you two. Um, and really excited to, to see these leagues continue to grow. And we have some great action coming up from women's hockey in, uh, in USA versus Canada and a bunch more with NWHL, CWHL seasons wrapping up in the first half. A lot to get to. So, as always, follow us here on MyW Sports. You can always tweet us um, at MyW Sports, the handle. And check out MyWSports.com. We have an NWHL story up from the weekend, has some volleyball recaps from this past week as well. Uh, so you can find that all on MyW Sports. As always, we like to finish here with our Motivational Monday quote this week by Olympian, uh, U.S. Olympian skier, Peekaboo Street, probably the best name in all of sports, um, goes, quote, to uncover your true potential, you must first find your own limits. And then you have to have the courage to, pl- to, excuse me, to blow past them. Again, Peekaboo Street, U.S. Olympian. For all of your updates on sports, follow us on social media at MyWSports as we bring you Motivational Monday, Top Player Tuesday, Women in History Wednesday, Throwback Thursday, and Friday Favorites. Tomorrow is Top Player Tuesday, so send us your nominees using the hashtag TPTNominee. We have a few coming up for the week. Of course, if you have any ideas, follow us on social media, send us that message, visit us on MyWSports.com, and of course, as always, you can always donate to help the cause at GoFundMe.com forward slash MyWSports. For Eric Ayala, Kyle Westcott, I'm Luis Sanchez. Thank you for joining us here on MyWSports Sports Monday. Have a great week and join us next week as we discuss the week in sports yet again.